0: Doctrine and Dictionary Doctrine and Dictionary
1: just about to send you a really sarcastic gift then
0: <laughs> what about my tardiness
1: yeah yeah the old lady that's deteriorating into like uh,
0: bones
1: how are you i'm how are you i've got pretty ombre hair
0: hey everyone welcome to episode seven of the dog training dictionary with me craig patterson and as always my lovely co-host
1: Carrie-Anne Selwyn, hey! Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, baby.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right. I'm very <laughs> happy to see you again. It feels like forever since we were, uh, we last recorded. So, yeah. It, ha- it
1: has been forever. We've both been very, very busy little bees, so. have
0: yeah. and a big congratulations to you and Dodge
1: oh yeah we got some red ribbons at last Woo-hoo. Woo. um if there is anyone listening in america uh red ribbons are the equivalent of your blue ribbons um so red ribbon is first place
0: i was about to say for anyone who doesn't do either of those competitive sports and has no idea what the colors mean first that was me immortals yeah massive we, massive congratulations we did the women's did two of yeah. them as well
1: yeah no it's very exciting yeah boy boy did good he was cool um the morning was, was consistently disastrous, and then the afternoon we kind of sorted our lives out. I got my cues correct, and we, we managed to get some wins, so yeah, it was good.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, very well done. I suppose that, weirdly, in a strange way, kind of cues up nicely for today's topic, because we're going to be talking all about body language, which I imagine your body language, after winning, and Dodgers also, I'm sure, was, uh, was lovely, loosey-goosey, and very ecstatic.
1: Um, possibly slightly mental as well. Um, yeah, I I definitely had the zoomies. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, very 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 excited. Um, just gonna say though, you talking about body language, it just always makes me think of Ursula from The Little Mermaid. It
0: does again, it's a reference that's lost on me. I don't know. Well, I feel. Find find, find me a GIF or a clip or something because I need to see what you're on about.
1: Think you should just watch the Little Mermaid again, just to like make your life happy, and and then you'll be like, ah, that bit, and then you can start.
0: Speaking of the way, sorry, love. Friday night, I need to watch Little Mermaid because there's a reference in it that Carrie needs me to see. So she won't tell me when it is, so I have to watch the entire movie on my own. In my pyjamas, eating popcorn, watching The Little Mermaid. Are you oh, sure
1: because... you've spent worse evenings than watching The Little Mermaid with popcorn, to be fair?
0: Probably, yeah. <laughs> I am sadly.
1: You can add some rum, it'll be fine.
0: Uh, now, now, I, well, to be fair, it's nautical, so it kind of fits in.
1: There we go. Yeah. See, it's perfect. See, now you've got Friday night, date night, boom, job done. Little okay. Mermaid Pirates the
0: and the Little Mermaid. Got it. Winner.
1: <laughs> we went to cinema the other day. Did you? Like the actual cinema. What did you see? Uh, Fast and Furious 9.
0: Is it as ridiculous as all the rest of them?
1: They go to space in a car.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's at that level now, is it? Fair enough. No doubt we'll still go and see it because my wife has big man crush on pretty much all the male actors in that film. So uh... Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: As a daunting husband, I shall uh, I shall take her to watch ninety minutes of eye candy if uh, if it keeps things up. If it lets me watch a Little Mermaid in peace.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. To be fair, I feel that the, the fast franchise just does cover all the eye candies of like yeah. No, it's it's uh, yeah. Just it's it's another fast film. like of chewing gum, isn't it?
0: It's, uh... Yeah. They're good for that. They're just a nice way to disconnect from the craziness of life a little bit. And uh, well, we bit went to like
1: fun. we we had like the fancy cinema. There was like leather recliners. Like it was fancy. It was cool. Very nice. And we got um special Fast and Furious like sippy cups, and they've got like a it's like a wheel on the top, and it's got a spinner on it. It's really cool. No one cares about this. We're meant to be talking <laughs> about dog <gun> training. <laughs> She actually so, yeah.
0: with the podcast. Yeah, I suppose we should really, shouldn't we? So, so body language—that's what we're going to be ch- chatting about today. Um, probably a couple of bits to talk about, guys. We we have touched upon this uh, a little bit in previous episodes. I think it was episode four, yeah, four, where we talked about <laughs> the ladder of aggression and some of the signals that your dog might give. Um, I suppose for us, for this episode, it's more talking a little bit more about body language, more generally, and kind mm-hmm. of what it means, what to look for kind of doing that little bit of kind of home analysis of, uh, of your dogs. And and um, I think you've got a lovely little kind of poker analogy, I think, when it comes to dog well, dogs. Well, yeah,
1: because when we talk body language, so body language, all animals, all species have body language. Um, poker's quite a good one because um, good poker players remain very neutral. Um People that aren't so good at poker tend to have a tell whether they've either got a really good hand or a really bad hand. Um, but I think sometimes we're reading body language without knowing what we're doing. There are times where um, you can be working with, and I'm going to say an animal because I've had it more, especially when like working around horses or when I've helped at the farm, there's been like cows or sheep or whatever. I'm not. A sheep expert um definitely not a jeremy clarkson and a bit more about sheep than he does but there are times where um a sheep or a cow would do something and i would know to move away because they clearly weren't happy or i'd know that i could approach them because they were relaxed that's just body language and one thing i always say to owners is if you get a gut feeling go with it because Body language is such a primitive and primal way of communicating that we can't always explain it. But sometimes that gut reaction of, oh, I'm not sure, especially if you have maybe an awfully dog coming in towards you, or maybe you're approaching um, a field with livestock in. If you're not sure you're not comfortable, listen to your gut, because there's a reason you're... You're kind of the primitive side of your brain has gone. "Mm, Yeah, that's a warning. Don't go near that. You know, so body language with dogs, I think, is such an interesting subject because it's so. As much as there's like crossovers and we can kind of make sort of broad statements about stuff, every dog is an individual. You know, there's a very big difference between smiling and showing teeth. You know, we know it in a facial expression in humans, you can grimace and show your teeth or you can smile and show your teeth. And everyone knows that kind of foot like fake smile to a natural smile because there's other little micro language going on within the face and stuff. And we're very good at reading other people. And one thing that I think has been really interesting during pandemic is people wearing face masks. We've only been able to read people's kind of eyes. So having to read people body language has naturally changed. And I think some dogs have found it weird because they're used to reading the whole person's face. Now, all of a sudden, a big part of the communication has been taken away. So a lot of dogs found people wearing masks like really stressful, especially kind of older dogs that are so used to seeing the whole face that you took that part away and it really affected them. So I think today we're going to kind of chat about how there are sort of broad spectrums of body language, but it's about knowing your own dog as an individual and what is normal for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I often refer to normal as like neutral when I chat to people Mm -hmm. because it is, it's just, yes, we can have these broad strokes of things to look out for. Like you say, the smile is the classic on humans, you know, that you when you know how a person holds their face, you can then tell what a fake smile, natural smile, kind of nervous smile. You can kind of read the emotion behind the body movement. And yeah. I think that's massive with your own dog. So spending a bit of time just watching them kind of where they're happy and they're comfortable, usually around the homes, a classic kind of, mm-hmm. just to, to see what does that look like. So as we go through all the various components that we'll get around to in the podcast, doing that little, I call it baselining, Um, just figuring out what that looks like to start with then means that if you do start to focus on one area at a time, you can really start to pick up on all those little micro changes, all those little bits of movement and holding and tension and whatever else that we start to pick out because I've got a frame of reference now. It usually looks like this. It now looks like that. And Mm -hmm. what is that telling me if anything?
1: Yeah. And neutral doesn't necessarily mean relaxed
0: yeah i think it's just yes. more that natural again probably a bit like us when you when you walk normally again this lovely label of normal that has no relative context yeah. but it's what what is normal yeah yeah no. it's, there's there's generally it's, it's more that what is what is normal it's it is a bit of kind of yeah just when your dog's being kind of them and they're not under any undue pressure or stress they're not overly happy and playful they're not sleepy and droopy it's just the the classic for me is usually like when they've just kind of got up maybe had a drink had a wonder background to come and say hello to you going back lie down that kind of thing those very well again i say relax but those zero pressure type moments or very minimal mm-hmm. pressure kind of
1: mundane sort yeah. of
0: yeah. yeah if it looks if it looks boring that's a perfect time because yeah. your dog's not really having to put a lot of effort in the same way that we are, you know, kind of when no one's looking and you are just kind of slobbing around the house, that's pretty much you and your most kind of natural pose and, and, and kind of hold of your body. So it's, uh, those are the opportunities where it's really nice to get that little, little view of what that, that baseline or that neutral or that natural is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I'm assuming the easiest way to do this is starting at the nose and working back.
0: Yeah, I think so. Cause uh, <laughs> I think instantly with a lot of people you get very hyper focused on the tail, so I think just yeah I think we should start at the other end and because actually oh, nice. it's that, that the sharp end and, yeah the sharp end actually communicates so much more than the tail, so yes. but we do historically get very focused on tails so I think yeah let's start at the end that probably has some of the the most parts in a, in a confined area that we can focus on.
1: So I think one thing as well before we go into kind of the little different bits is that we have to remember is different skull shapes because bracky breeds are going to express themselves a lot differently to the rest just because they don't have as much muzzle, the skull shape is very different. Um, I shared a, um, a little a diagram the other day of, um, and we can share it on on our pages, but it was the difference between a deer head chihuahua and an apple head chihuahua. And the muzzle length and the skull shape of those two dogs is very, very different. Yeah. So the way they naturally communicate is going to be Different, So that's something to think about straight away. Dogs that have very short muzzles, maybe have a more bulbous eyes, uh, maybe have a lot more wrinkles in the face, are not necessarily going to be able to communicate as easily to other dogs as, say, a border collie that's got a longer nose.
0: Yeah, definitely. But I, I dare say so we can kind of carry that right through the body because, again, ears, again, if your dog's got very small ears if they've had horrific things done to their ears um even down to the tail again different breeds picking on the poor pugs but you know very very difficult tail that to express through because of its shape and its size versus a labrador for example which is usually got you know the kind of standard natural length tail that kind of protrudes from the body in a way so yeah knowing your dog knowing its physique knowing its breed all those are uh, uh, things that we've got to make allowances for, for the variables that are in that.
1: hmm definitely. And I think um, this is where body language can get a bit confusing for people because there's some parts that are really, really obvious, but some of them may be a bit more kind of skull type specific or even just um, structurally, like the dog's skeleton, because obviously – a basset is a very different body shape to a wolfhound yeah (laughs) you know that that's kind of your extremes because a basset's got a huge deep chest tiny little legs whereas a wolfhound kind of is fairly proportionate throughout the dog so and as you say the different ears shapes and all that stuff that is all going to affect what it is and if The dog has unfortunately been cropped. That's also going to affect the way they communicate. But let's start with the nose because the nose in neutral doesn't do too much, but the nose can be a very good first hint that the dog has either started to go into that predatory motor pattern that we spoke about in episode six or. Just the fact that there's, there's something occurring, there's a doings in the world.
0: It's like a Lord of the Rings extra. It's, um, yeah, I think it really is, because that, that skin around the nose as well is, again, it's quite that little telltale play. So you see the twitching, you see the movement. Mm-mm. Have you got me?
1: I've got you now. I'm back. Whatever you said... Start saying
0: it again now. <laughs> Did you get my Lord of the Rings comment? No. All right. So when you said there's a doings in the world.
1: Yeah, there's a doings in the world. And then I lost
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the nose, I, I think it is. Because like you say, it, it's it's movement and the skin around that nose when stuff starts to happen, whether they pick up on whatever it is, again, starts to tell you quite a lot. So that little almost bewitched type moment of the little nose wiggle can be one of the earliest kind of indications that something is uh, something's occurring or, or there's doings going on. As you, you, you,
1: you know, you just dropped your age in there a little bit, mate.
0: <laughs> Do you know what? It's actually before my time.
1: But I used to watch. I used to watch Bewitch when I was a kid on like reruns. I used to love that show. Oh, whatever. Be quiet. Stop. Anywho.
0: Anyway, otherwise, don't...
1: I'll be twitching my nose at you. Um. So. The the nose bit is then, obviously, the next obvious bit is the mouth and the muzzle area. And this is the bit where we get so much information from. So much information goes on with the lips and the way the jaw is held and all of that stuff. So this is where I think the neutral becomes most obvious. Because, for example, when Tiny Dog is super relaxed her tongue pokes out just a little bit. Oh, bless her. So her neutral is her little tongue sticking out the end of her mouth. I always joke her tongue's too long for her mouth. But when she's neutral, there's, there's a little bit of tongue. The jaw is relaxed. The mouth may be slightly open. That looks very different to if the dog is tense and the muscles have tensed up and the dog's potentially showing us stress.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah. It's, it Again, I keep kind of drawing back to us and the humans again, isn't it? Like you say, very, uh, it might be me, but again, my jaw is quite relaxed usually. So when I'm relaxed, my my mouth is kind of, or my teeth certainly are apart. So they're not clenched together. So my jaw's relaxed. The My incredibly torn, tight skin around my face is nice and relaxed. Um, what do you love for that? <laughs> uh, but again, but it, it's so easy to see that muscle tension change, especially in, in dogs. And again, the slightly longer muscles is is a lot more obvious with this. But that's where you do start to see that lip shape change. So that kind of um the smiley mouth, as you might call it. You mm-hmm. can start to see that a lot more apparent in kind of where your dog holds their their gels and their lips and what that tension is around the mouth. And in turn, like you say, the tongue itself, you know, how that's behaving, because is it a a floppy out the side of the mouth, goofy type tongue, or is it a little bit more held in position and a little bit more postured? It's um yeah, you could just get so much information from uh from that muzzle area.
1: So dogs kind of have three smiles really, and one of the smiles is I uh, it is more reserved for the bull breeds, especially the Stafford. Anyone that's done any work with Staffords or been around Stafford knows that Staffy smile where their mouth is relaxed and it is just like this cavern of happiness on the front end of the dog. Like, they just look happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, real kind of corners of mouth pulled right up. That's f- usually quite often in my experience, that little bit of the floppy tongue going on. Yeah. The eyes. Slightly we- clowny,
1: cartoony, just super hyper-relaxed. Now, some dogs, when they are very excited... Now, Dalmatians do this a lot. So, if any Dally owners, um, nearly all the Dalmatians I know do this. But Munch does it, and then Minks learnt this from Tiny Dog. When we get home and they are super excited, they slightly curl their top lip up and they wiggle and smile. Now, this is a really, really interesting point because this is where children end up getting bitten by dogs because generally when a dog is pulling their lip up and showing their teeth it is because they are really not happy yeah children unfortunately are conditioned to think that lips back and teeth on show
0: it's a lovely everyone
1: (laughs) smile what have your lips just done what have your teeth just done a lot of children see a dog baring their teeth as the dog smiling. And that is why a lot of especially young children can end up getting bitten because they don't understand that the dog is not smiling. The dog is giving them a warning signal. So that's that ladder of aggression.
0: Yeah. And then you get those um, like those appeasement-y type smiles. So those almost nervous smiles. So mm-hmm. again, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Um, I work with a beautiful colleague that does this. Um and will curl her kind of top lip and, and, and do this. It's a very cute smile, if you know, if I'm kind of coming in from that angle, it does look cute, but it's her way of of appeasement of that kind of I'm no issue, I'm no threat, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not gonna snarl and bare teeth at you in an aggressive way. I'm gonna almost curl and, and do a an appeal, I call it an appeasement smile. I'm not sure how else to describe it, but there is yeah, yeah, yeah. There's those differences as it shifts of Again, back to us, you know, the way that you show your teeth and the way that you flex your muscles around your mouth conveys so much. And when you do watch your dog and you look at your dog, and I think it's where context is massive. So with any, any assessment you're doing of your dog's body language, understanding the context is huge because body language that looks very similar will convey different things depending on the context that you're in.
1: Because when you describe... Lips drawn back teeth on show. Straight away, well, is that super happy, excited smile? Is that I'm not quite sure I'm trying to appease you? Or is that I'm really not happy and I'm warning you that I'm about to bite? But the basic description on paper of all three of those is identical, which... Is why you then need to add the rest of the body into it, because as you said, we get very fixated on singular parts like the tail, like the muzzle. But you have to look at the whole entire picture and frame of the dog. You can't just look at one little bit because as those of you know, from doing the thingamajig Thursdays, just seeing one tiny section of a dog doesn't always show you the whole part of the picture.
0: Uh, certainly doesn't know. And I think that's, and again, this is where it's always that balance because I think when you first start out, for the likes of you and I and and many professionals out there, we get very tuned into looking at all of those component parts, all kind of almost instantly and being able to draw these conclusions and these pictures. Whereas for most people who've never really spent a lot of time analysing their dog at this kind of level, um, I generally say start with one bit. Just Mm -hmm. learn it and understand the difference in the changes. Don't try and assume what they mean. Don't Mm -hmm. even worry about that bit. Just understand that there was a change and what it looked like. So you can kind of scribble it down and describe it Mm -hmm. because once you get more and more tuned into all the individual components, then putting them all together in whatever context it is gets much, much easier. But I know so many people, a lot of clients I work with try and do it all at once and unless you spent a lot of time practicing like you and I have, that's not easy. It's not a natural thing for us humans to do. So going through it part by part to understand your changes, Mm -hmm. usually for me is where I start. And then you can add the context and put all the various bits together, like mouth in position one with tail in position three and ears in position seven in the vets might mean this. Uh, but you've got to go through all those various little component parts first, mm-hmm. kind of get all your pieces of your jigsaw together.
1: Exactly. So other kind of, because we've spoken about the the smile, one of the other things um, that can give us information is the tongue. Yeah. The dog's tongue can tell us quite a lot about how it is, how it shouts. Obviously, it can be... Now, panting is an interesting one because panting can be a stress signal. It can just be that your dogs just run around half an hour, cray cray, or it could just be that they're, they're just a bit hot. And that, again, is why we have to be able to look at all the context. But a dog's tongue, I can kind of as as you said with the Stafford's before, they do kind of loll it out to the side. When Dodge is getting a little bit tired in training, his tongue just hangs out the side of his mouth. Like it's hilarious. He's just there, this big old pink tongue running out. I've noticed around Hooper's course, like some of the pictures we've got of him running around, his tongue's just hanging out. I'm like, are you using it for steering? Is it like a balancing thing? <laughs> like
0: put your tongue in your head. But <laughs> well, yeah, it, again, it and it's it's one of those things that, To be fair, the reason I like the tongue to to focus on when you're doing body language analysis, I'll be honest, it's not for me so much about the tongue, but what it does is it focuses me into their breathing. Because Mm -hmm. if I try and visually look for the tongue, inadvertently I actually start to see what they're doing from a breathing perspective. Mm -hmm. So Boo, um, when she gets a bit um, a bit stressy, she does start to pant, but then she'll hold her breath, and then she pants Mm -hmm. again. And it's really quite It's not a frantic hot pant. It's um, again. It's so hard to describe, but I know it when I see it. Um, It Now that you're describing someone about to give birth, where they're like, (laughs) it kind of is. It's that like little kind of stress relieving focus. Kind of, it's it. She's not building to the bark. She's not doing that. It's it's this kind of. She will start to puff and pant. Um, I think a puff is probably a better description of it than a pant. Mm-hmm. And then she will hold and then she'll hold a breath for a second or two. And then she goes back to puffing again and then cheeks will flop a little bit when she starts to really go for a, a pre-bark kind of cheek blow. But all of these things are are just kind of when I started looking at the tongue, you start to see all those little bits of how, mm-hmm. the, how the breathing starts coming into play.
1: And the other thing, um, we'll move on to cheeks in a minute because you kind of segued us a tiny bit early because we just need to talk about tongue flicks. If your dog has just eaten and they've got a bit of food stuck on their nose, they're probably going to be flicking their tongues, to get the food off their nose. Or if you've just let them lick a bit of yogurt off a spoon or something, like if there's something edible, then obviously that causes them to lick their lips. But a tongue flick can be such a subtle, subtle signal of I is not comfortable right now.
0: And they're so quick as well, which is so easy to miss because they're almost like lizard-like in terms of the speed of them sometimes. But again, really interesting, my little Lucy Liu, my little Cavi, again, I dare say it's a bit of a self-soothing thing that she does, but she almost does like a lip smack and a lot of lip licking. When she isn't, and as best to my knowledge, isn't, she's not under any duress or any stressful situation. Mm -hmm. I think she just quite enjoys licking um so minks does it Her doing that again yeah you, you could get very obsessed about oh my god look how many tongue flicks she's doing and lip licks she's doing actually she just kind of enjoys t- 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 quite oh my god of- you've <laughs> just described
1: minks i swear <laughs> to god maybe it's a small dog
0: uh, i thought small dog or she's old and her teeth aren't as great as they once were so i don't know if that gives her a little bit of chip every now and then but yeah so again like context wise massive shift in that the difference between my dogs because hugo doing that many lip licks absolutely would generate concern for me mm-hmm. she's doing it when she's laid on the sofa half asleep i'm a bit like it's just yeah. crazy. It's what she does um so yeah absolutely but those lip licks are so hard to uh, to capture and we'll always generally from a training perspective whether it's sports pet dog competition whatever we love film and stuff and that's why it's so powerful filming stuff because there's so many things that you might miss mm-hmm. when it, whether it's you're just doing a little bit of training in the house with your dog, whether you're doing some cooperative care, grooming type stuff, some sport training, having your camera going and watching it back. Not only do you capture it amazing moments, but you do actually give you that ability to to kind of retrospectively analyse that body language when you're not in that first-person view of it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And – videoing your dogs guys i mean like we've all got probably about 20 million pictures of our dogs on our phones but just videoing them every now and again is another way of learning what your dog's neutral is but also just videoing them while you're training not only will you see how impeccably horrendous your timing is but you will also see little things that maybe you or your dog has done that you haven't realized, and you're like, Oh, well, what caused that? Oh, it's because of this. So, the cheek puffing is one of those that can be very easily missed, and for some dogs, can be a concentration thing. Going back to the tongue quickly, I do wonder sometimes if Dodge sticks his tongue out because he's concentrating, because I do
0: that. Like, <laughs> mama, like, dog. Eh? <laughs> I, I, but I, I, yeah, I wouldn't surprise me. I don't know if there's any science behind it, but yeah, I think how your dog holds their tongue very similar to us. Um, my uh, she'll kill me for saying this, but I don't think she listens, so I'll make it away with it. My auntie, um, when she cuts with scissors, she flicks her tongue in at the side of her mouth and almost like bites it. So I know this is a podcast, so people can't see this, but she basically goes, <laughs> and, it's, and it's completely subconscious. But yeah, there's it's a massive muscle, isn't it, in your mouth? So yeah, I'm sure there is going to be a lot. There
1: have been studies related to um, rider position and horse tongue position. So tongues in horses are a very important thing because obviously they've got the bit in their mouth and there's all that stuff. I don't think there's been as much research in dogs because it's kind of not as necessary. But when we look at competition dogs, it would be interesting to see if the dog is more efficient when their mouth is... Open weather, obviously, an open mouth allows more air to come in and that kind of stuff. But the cheek puffing, I know some dogs that um, a cheek puff is like a concentration thing. Like when they're trained, sometimes they cheek puff. Sometimes it's a bit of an overexcitement thing or maybe a kind of arousal thing. As their arousal level is rising, they start the cheek puffing. But I do know a dog that that was your warning. Before the bite. The dog would puff their cheeks twice if you were lucky. Because everything else had been punished. So it literally, back to that ladder of aggression, it went from cheek puff to bite. There was nothing in the middle.
0: Uh, Whereas, so Hugo's a cheek puffer, but he's a frustrated cheek puffer. So Mm -hmm. he will start, when he gets frustrated, um, he starts with cheek puffs. So before he starts vocalizing, being a you know a good old chap, he always starts with a very very delicate little puff of the cheeks,
1: mm-hmm. and he actually
0: escalates that cheek puff to a then ultimately a woof. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's his earliest little indication to me. Usually, if I'm late feeding him, I'm not going to lie. He kind of adopts a position in front of me, gives me the eyes and a bit of a, which is his little way of kind of going dinner time, dad. Are you going to get off your ass. Um, I won't. Yeah, and then he will, he will you'll escalate that behavior until he gets what he wants. But it's, it is, it's um, a very subtle, but can be an incredibly powerful thing when you understand what it means in the context of your dog.
1: I wonder if that's part of that um, whole gruff that was bred into the sheps as well for herding kind of purposes, because that whole sort of, it's not quite an air snap, it's not quite a bite. Yeah. Sort of in between the two, like, Again, that's body language. That's a warning. It's not causing actual physical harm, but there is an intent behind it of move. Yeah. Which
0: into <laughs> the garage and get my dinner.
1: <laughs> it's very effective. See, so he gruffs you to go and get his damn food. Hey, yeah. Quality
0: dog trainer. I am very well trained.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so nose, teeth, tongue, lips, cheeks. I guess up to the eyes.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and again, yeah, another incredibly expressive part of the body but again one that in my experience it's very quick as well so unless your dog is under some incredibly undue pressure and stress which we hope they're not but generally most of the very quick communication with their eyes is it's very subtle and it is very quick but I suppose the shape is basically the the key thing to look at when it comes to the eyes and the most common expression I think we call it like the almond eye that very soft kind of oval-esque shape but again different breeds are going to have different shape eyes and yeah. everything else you know uh, so that's always in the context but you're basically just looking for that nice natural relaxed eye mm-hmm. with very little and again kind of bulbous eye breeds slightly apart here but with very little white uh, mm-hmm. kind of showing you it, it tends to be more kind of iris pupil um, very soft not a lot of tension around the skin around the eyes and that's again that's kind of that nice neutral kind of normal position mm-hmm. and then it tends to get even softer um going back to your staffies they're fantastic though that almost almost squinty type kind of soft yeah. eye when they're super happy yeah, but,
1: yeah like their eyes just disappear cuz they're so happy like they just their the whole face just like melts into this just big smile of
0: teeth the wife jokes with this cuz i'm going to do it again it's a podcast so i don't know what it is when i really smile my eyes disappear We ne-
1: we need to get a picture of
0: that because that's yeah. quite funny, actually. So, um, so yeah, every time we're <laughs> taking photos on holiday and stuff, it's always a uh, a smile, but don't smile too much because my eyes disappeared. I shut my eyes basically, so right, I one of,
1: like one of my friends' husbands. Right, we always tell him not smile in pictures because <laughs> <laughs> he just ends up looking really awkward and like just weird. So we're like, don't it's smile, like
0: a, like a Chad Big kind of smile. Oh, my God, it's funny. <laughs> it's, uh, but, yeah, that those eyes are amazing. But the the, the whale eye, as we often refer to it, as that kind of when your dog starts to show a lot of the white of the eye, often, again, we'll get there, often coupled with other things like head turns, et cetera, um, a huge, huge selling point, especially for discomfort and weariness and kind of nerves and anxiety when you start to see a lot of that big white eye. Um, resource guarding is another classic where you get a lot of that that real hard look and a lot of that weight start to show mm-hmm. very clear kind of expression of intent from your dog mm-hmm. that they're, they're not happy with the situation that they're currently in.
1: And again, talking about like you saying, like if a dog's eye is hard, like when they go into that kind of staring or that laser eye that we've spoken about, the herding breeds are very good at this because they've been bred for this purpose to move the animals by looking at them. Yeah. And, um, Kelpies actually have got a very intense look to them um, because they're not that big, but they still have to move large flocks or herds of animals. Um, Collies, sheps, rotties, any dog that's going to be moving animals is very good at staring, but that, as we spoke about in previous episodes, can get them into trouble with other dogs because from a body language point of view... You know, I'm sure several of the ladies and listeners have used the line of, um, do you want to look any longer or just take a picture? Like, being stared at in body language in general is not particularly polite, okay? Several people have been asked if they'd just like a photo because being stared at is actually a very intimidating body language.
0: Yeah. In was- all species. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, that that intense gaze it, 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 it does say a lot. Like I say, you can couple it, again, we're feeling like a broken record here, you can couple it with a lot more softer other elements of body language that might display a slightly different interest, um, mm-hmm. but yeah kind of the bloke perspective you know the the staring at somebody else in a bar when you're a bit po'd is um it's a very different level of intent that's behind there and how you hold your eyes and hold your gaze um yeah it is it it conveys a lot a look can can say a lot to people and it's um absolutely no different in our dogs it's an incredibly Mm -hmm. powerful communication tool for them and again sadly some breeds of struggle with that because of breeding and everything else and mm-hmm. their, their skull shapes, their head shapes. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their I mean, st- A
1: lot of the bull breeds tend to have more of a kind of predatory look about them again, because of what we bred them for originally, you know, and dogs with different color eyes. Um, today I actually met three um, XL bullies. They were awesome. Like I was just getting all the bull breed snogs today, but, they all had those really pale kind of ambery colored eyes and they are very intense huskies with their and the clear eyes with their really like sort of silver blue eyes yeah and your dogs that have like one i I can't remember the technical term apologies people screaming
0: (laughs) my mum's got them we call them odd eyes
1: that's not the technical term, dude. Um, but it's you see it a lot with the collies and the huskies, especially in dogs that have Merle in their coloring, where they have one brown eye, one blue eye. Um, in horses, we used to call it wall eye. I don't know if that's what it's called in dogs. Um, but even the color of the eye can change the way a look is perceived because we're used to dogs having those kind of brown eyes, it being quite natural, and seeing other color eyes in different breeds can also be a way of making the communication appear different, even though it's the same as
0: normal. Yeah. And again, I think people kind of forget things like that because we forget dogs are diachromatic in in, in their view and their colour scheme. Mm -hmm. A lot of us, I think, still work on that old, they only see black and white type uh, viewers of the world. But regardless of which one that is, or which kind of uh, assumption or view that you have, regardless, the, the the pigmentation in their eye is still going to show differently. So even if, yes, it is, you know, it's, it's brown and blue, yes, all right, dogs can see elements of blue, which is great. But the intensity of the colour or the darkness in there, again, is going to convey quite a lot to your dog. And I think that's where we, we often discount colour uh, for dogs quite quickly when actually it absolutely plays a part.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing, just while we're talking about like how dogs see colour, a lot of black dogs can get into trouble with other dogs because if they are completely dark in their colouring, it can be very hard for other dogs to read their features, especially in low-light settings um, because, well, anyone that does photography, trying to get good pictures of animals that are black in colouring It's really, really hard because you don't have the same contrast you do with the other coat colorings. So some people are, oh, my dog doesn't like black dogs or, oh, you know, my cat always seems to get in fights with black cats. It's because they find it harder to see the face those subtle tiny facial expressions because of a solid coloring i sometimes find it's well, even with dogs that are more sort of black uh like liver and brown in coloring it can be quite hard as well and even the other extreme of like maybe like your westies and stuff they can be sometimes a little bit hard to read because it's just solid white
0: yeah.
1: so again it's very difficult to see those little tiny nuances i think Dogs that have a bit more coloration, different pigments and markings on their face are easier to read than those that are just a completely solid color.
0: Yeah, definitely. And again, going back to those kind of uh, brachyphalic breeds, you know, those kind of squat-faced breeds again, mm. so much of that stuff just kind of merges into mm. kind of one one muddy mess, probably not the best description, but from a dog's perspective, it's very difficult to, to see those individual component parts and put all the pieces together when they're reviewing the body language. Um, I, I used to work with um, uh, Duke de Bordeaux, who mm-hmm. amazingly had incredible wheel eye, communicated loads through his eyes. Mm-hmm. However, the folds in his skin mm-hmm. basically just meant you couldn't see it. Yeah. And again, it made it really, really difficult. So he was a fantastic communicator through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And, he was fantastic with handling with his with his pooch parent which was great because if they did kind of just sounds a bit but if they did kind of just hold his head up a little bit and kind Mm -hmm. of stretch out some of those wrinkles his eye expression was phenomenal Mm -hmm. but when his skin was relaxed it flopped around and it hid a lot of that stuff so that was a communication tool he was using yeah but was basically ineffective because nobody else human or dog could see it because of his breeding and his skin and everything else so yeah all these little things can very quickly catch us out
1: um you've just made me think also of um like chow chows they can be very difficult to read as well because there's just so much floof and fuzz on their little faces which as humans we perceive as very cute but to kind of for other dogs that aren't used to interacting with that that type of dog, it can be very difficult. Sharp A's as well, because again, very wrinkly skin and very small ears, the Sharp which can be difficult for other dogs to read. So that's a beautiful segue to the ears.
0: It is. Go on. I'll let you take this one to start with then.
1: (laughs) So there are so many different ear shapes and sizes and types in the dog world. And this is where kind of making sure that you're, puppies and your young dogs are socialized with lots of different types of dog is really really helpful because you find that they start to understand that different dogs have different ears now just quickly in the UK it is illegal for dogs to be cropped and the law has recently been changed to ban the import of dogs with cropped ears as well um i completely back this decision as does greg because to me removing a dog's ears for fashion is not a thing um it shouldn't be allowed i understand that there are medical circumstances in which dogs may need to have their ears cropped But generally, now it's a fashion thing. Now, it is breed standard in some countries for um, breeds like Danes and Dobermans to have their ears cropped. And a lot of the bull breeds have their ears cropped um, because it's a look. But unfortunately, a lot of the bull breeds um, in other countries also have their ears cropped. So they don't get injured when they are fighting, which is one of the reasons, the other reasons why I'm very anti-cropping because... It perceives, it gives people the perception that your dog is in some way dangerous and maybe aggressive. The three XL bullies I met this morning couldn't have been nicer, friendlier, happier, more chilled dogs, but two of them had been cropped and they were imports. And it was much harder to read them facially than the one that had the ears. The one that had the ears looked just as freaking stunning. And I'm going to say a bit more so, but I understand that there is this real fashion at the moment for crop dogs. And unfortunately celebrities have kind of endorsed this by purchasing dogs that have been cropped. Um, We need to, we do need to speak up against it because it's not a thing. Um, the crop don't flop. Um, big shout out to Jordan Shelley and the rest of the team behind getting that passed um through Parliament because cropping a dog completely removes the ability for them to communicate with using their ears. And ears are a massive communication tool for all dogs. So I just want to kind of I know it's a bit of a serious note, but cutting
0: off your dog's ears is not a thing <laughs> no, really a hundred percent there's there's just yeah other than medical reasons there's just no need for it whatsoever mm-hmm. and yeah uh, echo everything you've just said there carrie because to be fair it's one of the most expressive and let's honest, one of the cutest parts of your dog mm-hmm. like, i absolutely love watching dogs ears and it's, it's for me it's one of the go-to ones that i use with a lot of my clients there's very very few breeds out there where the ears don't tell you something mm-hmm. and if they've got the, the you know, all the parts of their ears intact, they are such a, a an insight into your dog in their state of mind and their interest level and their, their arousal level. Everything's so much stuff can get communicated through ears. Um, so yeah, it's usually one of my go to ones because a lot of clients it's easy to gravitate to if your mm-hmm. dog's at the end of the lead and they're ahead of you. Again, it's a nice, easy focal point for you to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is usually one of the first ones I kind of get clients paying attention to because yeah there's just so much stuff comes through that
1: and i just want to mention quickly as well so um on the odd occasion especially with puppies you may see um certain breeds of puppies with their ears in bandages and like a tape between them so they've basically been taped up now some dogs that have been cropped they do tape them up to get that point the dogs in america i just mentioned but um friend of mine recently um had a litter of show lows as they started to uh, the mexican hair list that you would have seen on the fun fact Fridays that are not hairless at all they some of them have do not but when they hit i think they're about five six weeks old they're obviously going through a bit of teething and their ears started to flop down a bit um i know one of your chefs has got a floppy ear now. <laughs> no. and tiny dog has soft ears which in chihuahua is not it's not a thing if I'd been planning on showing her I could have taped her ears which is where you add little cotton supports in and use kind of um the micro tape to basically tape the ears up into place so their ears remain straight now you tend to find it's more show dogs that have that done as much as we understand it doesn't cause the dog um, too much discomfort or problem. And it's kind of a, it is a cosmetic thing, but it's to help keep the ears up. This is not the same as cropping. I just want to kind of say that. Cause I'm not going to lie. The first time I saw it, I was like, huh? Why have they cut that dogs? Oh no, hang on. That's not bandages. It's because they're really quite floppy. I,
0: I, I, you sh- shared that picture to me and I had the exact same reaction. Um, and it is, and it's, I think it just goes to show how, how easy it is, again, to, to to misconstrue certain situations in the dog world very quickly. So, yeah, anything like that, guys, it's, yeah. Under- we
1: are here to educate. So yeah. if you see a dog with taped ears, it hasn't necessarily had its ears cropped. It could be that its ears have gone a bit floppy and it's, it's like a, a scaffold for their ears while they're growing. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and it's, um, yeah, and Hugo, bless him, he does have his little floppy ear now, which... I love, but yeah, I, I I do miss his little radar ears as well. Because I still I've got boo with her radar ears. Um but again, such a yeah, such an expressive part of their body. Lucy, Cavi, big, floppy, kind of furry, hairy ears, but again, really, really expressive with them. Where they sit when she's relaxed, where they sit when there's a chip in your hand and she wants it. You know, are two completely different expressions. Um So, yeah, one of my favourite parts of uh, of the dog's body to and watch.
1: The different ear shape is partly due to the different functions of the dogs.
0: Yeah, 100%. So yeah.
1: when you think of floppy ears, I'm going to go back to my basset example because they have the longest, longest ears. But actually, when you think about that whole kind of hound group, um the hounds that are going to be used for more training and tracking rather than your Ridgebacks... Um they have the longer ears and it's because it helps get the scent to the nose because the ears almost act like little scoops to scoop in the smells, then you'll see them shake off, get rid of the stank in their ears, and then keep adding more stank into their nose.
0: We really need to make this a, a video podcast because that was a fantastic little uh, visual description of that, guys. I know you totally made. And
1: if Dr. Rob Hewins or anyone else that does proper scent work just listens to that description, I'm really sorry because I've just completely like
0: that was uh, I, layman's
1: terms. I'm with
0: that amazing man next month, so I'll grass you up. I might just snippet this and show him it, and just um...
1: he'll just laugh and be like, "Why am I not surprised? <laughs> like he, he's used to be mine now. It's fine, but." when we then look at um dogs that are going to be sort of going into water and stuff like that like your labradors um your golden Retrievers, even Newfies and stuff their shaped ears are kind of similar they are but then they sort of have the flap that protects them a bit
0: yeah excuse me and then you, you mentioned things like sharp ears we've talked about pugs again Mm-hmm. so many different varieties shapes and again this is why again we it is all that element of context and understanding your dog whether they've got something like Hugo, you know he's had a trauma injury which now has a floppy ear mm-hmm. so now relearning his expressions with his different shaped ear takes a bit of time but it's yeah you've got to be mindful of that and it's what these were intended for the purpose of them and then again that helps kind of just contextualize anything that they may communicate to you as you were start to watch them with a little bit more of an analytical eye
1: and i think as well like with the with like your sheps and your chihuahuas and your terriers and stuff that have the more pricked upright ears sometimes they are easier to read because they're well their radar is they're more obvious to see what they mean but like with Dodge, if he's like in a really like goofy mood or he's being a bit silly, his ears tend to go out a bit to the side. When he's swimming, it's like they fold down like flotation devices.
0: <laughs> it's uh, uh, a yeah, uh, when Boo when, when Boo gets very paradey. So when she gets to and she likes to parade. Mm-hmm. She totally flattens her back, mm-hmm. right against the kind of back of her head onto her neck, really flattens him down. Where for some dogs, so I work with a few sight hounds, that's mm-hmm. kind of naturally where they hold their ears. Yeah. And they only kind of bring them forward usually when there's something that's caught their attention. Yeah. So again, that that deviation in the personality mm-hmm. that your dog will do. Hugo doesn't do that. When he does, when he gets excited, he's still uh, firmly kind of up in that radar y type position where Boo like goes all like jelly-like as her entire body changes, but she goes very floppy, very kind of wobbly and her ears just flattened back to her head and she looks very proud of herself with her uh, whatever toy she's carrying around
1: so um whip it i used to walk Ellie. she was a wicked little dog but you always knew when you had to get her back on lead immediately because her ears would prick and then if they crossed over the top of her head if if it was like dowing rods that would just cross if they crossed you had literally 0.2 seconds to get her back on lead otherwise she was gone
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> like <laughs> And I know a lot of the houndy, like the sight hound types, do that crossover ear, which just means that arousal level is
0: up. Yeah, and, it's, and I think this is where people get struggled because, yes, there might be some breed specific traits or group kind of specific traits, but again, it's just so individual, and that's why it gets so difficult. Because lots of people will ask questions about, you know, the wagging tail happy dog thing is kind of the classic, but we any professional say it's not that simple and it's it's not even as simple as saying like you say ears in this position mean this it's not even that black and white because your dog is an individual they will do their own little things we might be able to guide what it could mean x y or z but Mm. until you know your dog and you know their personality and you know what things make their ears or the rest of their body do what that's why it does get so hard with body language because we do like to we like things just to be kind of one plus one equals two. And when it comes to body language, it's so much more intricate than that. And I think that's where it can get quite frustrating for people out there trying to learn their dog's body language even more because you kind of, it's almost like you want a guide that you can refer to. And it's, there's some great ones out there, but it's still not quite as black and white as you would hope.
1: Exactly that. So then I think that kind of collectively then brings us to the head and head position is, a massive part of it because the dog, the most obvious one is the dog turning their heads away, but also lowering the heads down is kind of that sort of diffusing, nope, I don't want to look at you. I'm just minding my own business over here kind of thing. Whereas a very raised head, very upright, very alert looking head it could mean either someone squeaked a ball or someone's just started eating a burger or (laughs) do you know what i mean it it could just be that they heard a noise and went oh what's that and they've lifted their head Mm. you know if your dog's completely chilled out and relaxed a low head to the floor probably means that they're relaxed and they're just snoozing and chilling out whereas they suddenly lift their head up prick those ears oh there we go so that's a really good example of how you can tell from the dog being come like beyond neutral to kind of minus like doing nothing to ping I'm awake.
0: Yeah. And you, and you get that other extreme as well as like those, the, the dogs that like to stalk. So going back to our predatory motor bat and stuff again, you see that it's a different level of shift. So when the focus changes and their intent changes, their body posture and their head position changes, I'm going to pick on Poaboo again, because she does this when, When she's alert and nervous and anxious, she goes very, as you just mentioned, very head up, ears forward, very kind of chest out, stiff stance. Mm -hmm. Whereas actually when she goes into her chase mode, Mm -hmm. it's ears flat back, head low, body much lower.
1: That's streamlining. Tuck your ears back for
0: streamlining. Bolts off. And it's the intent, her frame of mind, everything is different, but... Yeah, it helps me understand kind of, yeah, where is a head? Once I know, you know, is it above a shoulder line? Is it level with a shoulder line? Is it below a shoulder line? Is it nose to the ground or nose forward? All of these bits as you start to build that jigsaw, start to build that picture for you and and give you that insight. But, yeah, it's those sudden shifts from one to the other are are Mm -hmm. a great sign to, you know, that obviously there's been something change.
1: So let's now move to kind of the rest of the body up to the tail, We're going to just do the kind of the rest of the rest of the dogs. So, cut the head off, not literally, (laughs) just visually in your brain. We're not worrying about the head bit at the moment. We're not worrying about the tail, just this the middle bit, literally the bones. Okay, so some dogs, and this is where breed comes into it, because some dogs naturally, from the way we have bred them, their natural stance can appear very aggressive and intimidating to others on purpose because we bred them to look like that.
0: There we pick on your poor bullies that you met earlier? <laughs> but also Dobermans. Yeah. Very chest heavy, very kind of proud stance, very... Boston <laughs>
1: Terriers. Um, a lot of the Terriers do it actually no, because they're, they're very there's... square on and like so, yeah, ball breeds, great example. Also, a lot of the Mastiffs are very square and heavy set because they were bred for kind of that more guarding purpose and to look after us. So if the dog looked naturally slightly more intimidating, then that's not a bad thing. That's a desirable trait. I think, again, this is why the Sharpays can sometimes get in trouble with other dogs because with all those wrinkles and those little fold ears and that very upright stance – they're natural, just they could be in neutral, but to other dogs, they appear aggressive when they might not necessarily be. But it's very hard. And this is why, again, with socialization, which is this week's What Word Wednesday. That's a nice little segue. Um, socializing your dog with lots of different types of dogs. And what I mean is your dog being exposed to in a positive way dogs of different sizes and shapes and breeds is really beneficial with dodge with his big feelings he's pretty chill around collies because he's been around a lot of collies
0: yeah.
1: um he loves a spaniel because one of his bestest friends in the whole wide world is a spaniel and also one of his bestest friends in the whole wide world is a collie so those are the dogs he's had the most experience with i had a lot of trouble with him kind of during lockdown with um, French Bulldogs. They're a really good example because they have great big giant ears, very smushed faces, like pig faces, and hardly any neck. They're, like...
0: And shoulders and chest. And-
1: yeah. And they stand very square. And then there's not a lot on the back end either because they have a little corkscrew tail. So actually, for Dodge, he was like, I don't like the little rude dogs. They probably weren't even being rude, but in his world, that natural outline was rude. Yeah,
0: it's it, yeah, and again, it's 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 so interesting when you when you come across that. And like you say, your dog's context is massive for that as well, because who your dog socializes with, what their frame of reference is in terms of what they've learned in their own body language, um, kind of growth and development, again, just makes it really interesting. So. I come across things like that quite a lot with, with those adolescent dogs where they've had a, a social circle that they've interacted with and, and they, they've they learned all their cues from and then do come across a breed that is very different in shape, size, stature, colour mm-hmm. and have no frame of reference for it other than when I have seen that historically, it's been a slightly more intimidating or whatever type viewpoint and instantly, dare I say, can almost tar them with that brush regardless of whether the dog's intentionally posturing or not. Yeah,
1: exactly that. So one of the things um, that chihuahuas do, um, and chihuahua owners will know about this, is the chihuahua shake, where they literally vibrate. And a lot of people take this as nervousness and the dog being scared and fearful because they're shaking because they're scared. Sometimes that is why. But they also do it when they're really, really excited as well. So it's arousal. It's an arousal response. It's potentially an adrenaline response. But some dogs do have a quiver, which can be very kind of difficult to read as are they injured are they terrified? I think it's why a lot of people think chihuahuas are terrified. Is because if they see them shake, they assume it's because they're scared. In fact, sometimes they do it just because they're really, really happy. Um, But the other extreme of that is stiffness and being completely rigid and still. And generally, that is when a big feeling is happening. And... It may be a good big feeling, but it may also be a bad big feeling. And a rigid body is definitely something that we kind of need to be aware of and is not your kind of ideal, normal body position. You know, we like dogs to be wiggly and slinky and kind of relaxed and more like kind of jelly rather than like a block of stone.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, and it's yeah. When you get, in, I think that's kind of where the heckles thing comes in as well with that kind of body and how it's out erectus, you know, erectus. Yes, um, <laughs> but again, it's, it's one of those classics for me where that type of of response, um, we again have such a an association of that being an aggressive thing, mm-hmm. uh, where well, sometimes it is. But I know for a fact, again, picking on Hugo and Boo. When they play and they're excited, they get it. It mm-hmm. happens. It's that natural condition. So, again, all those things that you see the body do, it's very easy to tar it as one thing, but it means it's
1: arousal. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's
1: just arousal. Um, yeah. We, as you know, with Dodge, I called it dinosaur mode because it's like he just goes and his back oh, just goes up. Yeah. Stegosaurus mode, like boom, backs up. Munch does it a little bit. And if she's super excited, it tends to be around her shoulders. If she's got, if she's kind of ended up in a discussion with another dog because maybe the other dog hasn't read the rest of body language and she's gone a bit stiff and a bit like, I'm not happy, then her back end hackles go up. And I know that if the hackles have gone up near sort of her hips and base of her tail, that is definitely when I need to intervene. Because the next step from that is going to be an air snap or a warning or whatever. So again, this is known with a different dog, whereas the chihuahuas, very rarely you see them put their hackles up um, and they can be sassy madams. It might just be their coat type doesn't allow for that kind of phenomenon to be as easy to read just because they've got a longer coat that maybe doesn't react the same. You tend not to see um, hackles so much in... um, you're like Poodles and Bichons and breeds like that, that have a hair rather than fur. Um, I don't want to, it tends to be the breeds that don't molt. And by saying don't molt, I mean like the true breeds that don't molt, that have that hair that needs to be cut, not hair that sheds out. Because I think obviously the way the hair sits in the coat is different to fur that we would have in our Shepherds, Huskies, that sort of breed, so I definitely think coat length, um, also affects how the dogs can be read. Um, again, going back to like chows, also like spitzes, poms, these real sort of poofy, fluffy, like almost look like little cloud dogs, they can be quite hard to read from a body language point of view. And then if we go to the other extreme of like, um, Portuguese water dogs that maybe have a different clip or like your poodles that have, especially when they're in a big show clip or a hunt clip, they physically, their outline looks very, very different to say a pointer. You know, whereas when you if you drew kind of the shape of a pointer and a shape of a poodle that are completely clipped and a Dalmatian, their outline isn't dissimilar. But as soon as you add that fur on, you can go, oh, that's a poodle because of all the big pom poms and the floof.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. And again, it's it's these things that it's so quick to just forget about, to be honest, when you're looking at that sort of stuff, it's really easy to forget the, the court difference. So mm-hmm. when, you're, when you are looking for those telltale signs, it's, it's not always obvious. I used to love um, my old dog Lando, because he was cross with Ridgeback. He had the Ridge silhouette. Okay. And it would, and it, it was like a weird hybrid between the genetics of Ridgeback, but also that kind of heckles type scenario as well. So it was, it was a really odd little mix that he used yes. to do. So again, but because of his breed, and his, obviously he was a cross, it behaved very differently to the standard whether your dog does it or doesn't do it and it's again just totally different change there and again I don't think other dogs really knew what to make of it either luckily he was that tall most dogs couldn't see it but it was um, but it, it does make an absolute difference with it because if your dog is trying to look for these telltale signs and these other cues and they basically are getting mixed messages because of genetics or fur type or court type um, yeah it can, it can be confusing for them as well
1: So then I think the last bit of the body before we get to to the (laughs) telltale is um, feet and paws and kind of paw lifting um, is one that can be a, oh, I'm not sure. But some dogs naturally point.
0: Can't imagine a breed that would do that.
1: No. Right. So stance, lift, paw up to indicate saying, hang on, could it be a pointer?
0: genius yes why didn't i think of that
1: oh my god right look at us working as a team oh,
0: it's uh yeah uh, I, I, I i just feel like i'm talking about all my dogs today but again hugo's a pointer he does it all the time
1: he's two hours on point munch goes on point it isn't just the gun dogs but you do see that that action naturally gun dog breeds a lot more because it's a trait we have bred for yeah. um so yes, it is body language, but it's a it's a part of body language that's kind of been bred for for a purpose. Um, you collies sometimes do it as well, and also kind of moving on from the point is the way the dog is moving, the speed of movement, because that very slow, creepy, creepy, almost cat-like stalk may not be the best body language from your dog because again it's very predatory or it could mean that if you include that with more of a hunched over back rather than a straight back and a kind of a tucked head rather than a low head that could be an i'm scared and i'm trying to creep away because i'm not sure Whereas straight back straight nose flat is or even is forward and slow movement is i found it and we're stalking and we're there but the dog being low and moving slowly, just that part of the description has two different meanings.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where that weight distribution, again, kind of comes in massively as well, doesn't it? Because it's there's an intent behind the weight distribution that, that again, starts to give you that insight into where your dog's at and what they're feeling and what their, what their intention and motivation is. Mm-hmm.
1: And, again, it's knowing your dog and your breed of dog because different breeds of dogs – either carry their weight very equally on all four paws or are more like front weight distributed or may even be sort of a bit more back and be kind of not a backwards movement because obviously that's just silly, but the weight distribution is more towards the back end or even than it being more forward weight bearing, which is what majority of dogs are. Um, going back to our shepherds, this is not a shepherd podcast, apologies, but um a shepherd's weight distribution, I think is about 60, 40. So 60% is on the front end and then 40% is on the back end, which makes sense when you look at the silhouette of a shepherd. So the way the dog is holding themselves is again, it's about the body language. Are they relaxed? Are they stiff? Are they vibrating with excitement or through fear? You know, there's so many different parts of how your dog's just body looks. Um, is is kind of a whole thing so
0: i think that leads us nicely to the tail then doesn't it really
1: it does take us to the tail which is um tails are different because again different dogs have different tails i mean some dogs have a tail that can clean a coffee table in one swipe
0: i bet a few danes actually that can do that the right height and wipe everything out
1: fluffy tables like that dallies have got pretty good like whippy tails that like if they catch you right like that really yeah yeah yeah, massively but again different breeds some dogs have very fluffy tails like the chihuahuas because they're long head it's like a plume like papillons have this beautiful hair coming off of their tails Whereas like, again, back to our little pugs and our Frenchies, they have those little court screw tails that can cause them some problems.
0: Yeah. And I think for me, whenever I do look at the tail, it's it's, it's position or it's courage, wherever it's been held, if the dog's got the ability to do that, mm-hmm. and then it's movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to that kind of wagging tail, the difference in wag can be exponential. So is it a kind of full bum wiggle, side to side, a little bit crazy, uh, Lucy. Lou, we call it propeller tail when she. George super, does it the helicopter tail, <laughs> full, on, full on, like round and round, bum goes and everything. <laughs> super kind of happy propeller tail. Um, whereas Boo, 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 always picking on Boo. Um, when she is in that kind of aroused, slightly anxious stage, mm-hmm. she likes her tail, but it's a very deliberate, much slower side to side probably takes a few seconds to go from left to right yeah. it's it, there's a lot more for what better could be intent behind the way that tail yeah. moves as opposed to just body being a bit silly and a bit kind of can't control itself so where it holds in its its body line, line if they can if they've got the ability to do that mm-hmm. and then the the speed the type of motion again yeah. tells you so so much when it communicates and it's i say side to side tail wag as you would look at it Isn't always the stereotype. A
1: wagging tail is not a happy tail.
0: Certainly isn't. Certainly isn't. So,
1: with like um, going back to my little terrier, Tizer, he had, we used to call it his piggy tail because he had a tail that came up over his back and it went in a little curl. I always used to watch the very kind of bottom three inches. That told me everything I needed to know because if he was about to try and nail something, because we had a few issues with him and he did wear a muzzle. Um, his tail would vibrate A little rough. and that meant I needed to get him back on lead immediately because that, that was not, the rest of the tail looked very happy that right. bottom little three inches. I learned very quickly. That was, that was my warning of, yeah, you need to get him back now because doings are going to be occurring. Um, and I think that the, the conception that a, a wagging tail is a good tail, is it's just not. It should be a relaxed, happy wag is a happy wag, but a stiff, tight, raised tail wag is generally not happy.
0: Yeah. And, and, and again, it's just it's one of these almost these cultural things that we just get lured in, and we yeah. a bit like the tea thing that we talked about earlier with kids, tails is just as kind of thing, because again, through all kinds of social conditioning, you get told mm-hmm. that wagging tail is a happy dog and it's it's yeah it's just so much more than that but they're so expressive if your dog has got a tail that it can move and, and um both in height and in speed they mm. are incredibly incredibly ex- expressive but like you say those spitz dogs huskies the caning dog that was on our meeting thursday a few weeks ago mm. quite raised curled tail over the back um but so expressive with it um, and it's incredible to watch. And it's, yeah, again, But uh, the ears and the tail for me are kind of my two go-tos as a starter point, yep. if you've got the right type of dog with the right type of ears and tail, because they're a little bit... Because of size, it's mm-hmm. much easier for us clumsy humans to pick up on those changes.
1: But so I think that kind of- applies to most species, you know, horses, yeah, cats, yeah. pigs, cows. Like, if you can see what the ears are doing and what the tail's doing, you can kind of get an idea of what the animal is is kind of feeling um i think maybe because people because our ears don't do a lot we maybe forget to look at the ears but actually they're they they tell us a lot about what is going on um just with the tails as well um some dogs may have been docked um in the uk dogs are allowed to be docked legally if they are a working gun dog this is for safety so the dogs don't injure themselves when they're on a working field Again, the practice of dogs being docked for fashion and being imported in the country is illegal now. and dogs that I remember um, I used to know a little Jack Russell that had been docked badly at home, uh, so not by a vet properly. um it was a it was actually a welfare case, and she could never sit straight oh because the way she'd been docked and the length they docked her tail meant she could not comfortably sit straight like other dogs could naturally because either her tail would get stuck on the floor or it would go under her and it would make her uncomfortable. So she always sat on a hip. She she could never just sit straight because it hurt her and it was uncomfortable. And this is the other thing, you know, when... um gun dogs um, that are docked are done professionally by a vet it's done properly um it's not a case of a standing knife in someone's garden shed which is one of the old methods that used to be done which is horrendous but dogs that have been docked badly it is going to affect their ability to communicate because it's basically causing them a disability you've amputated a part of most gun dogs that have been docked, their tail is left to a certain length so they can still, because dogs actually use their tails as well when they are steering, when they're flat out. You watch pictures of Dodge going around a Hooper's course and he's using that tail as a rudder to steer and balance. Um, there are breeds that are bred with a bobtail that are bred without a tail and they get on fine. But dogs that have been born with a tail and know how to use it you are you're gonna disable them by removing kind of a limb really
0: yeah yeah 100 it's it's very much part of their body it's not a it's not an afterthought accessory it's, it's it is part of them so yeah you watch
1: sight hounds and what their tails do they're there for a reason
0: oh yeah yeah and again that what i love about body language is the more you start to look the more you start to see the more you start to see the more you start you get a little bit obsessive about it i'm not gonna lie and again, this is going back to the context thing we talked about before. It's why that is so important because I do speak to a lot of clients where when they start to really pay attention to a lot of the body language, it's very easy to fall into the little rabbit holes. Going back to the lip licking, you know, it's a classic where they did seven lip licks and it was like, yeah, but you just give them primula cheese. So kind of a bit of context makes a massive difference. So yes, I might have been in a stressful situation, but the food that you've just gave them as well is also quite a tacky, type food okay. is that paying into it we do, we obviously we can't talk to them we don't know but it's those little bits where we've got to be very mindful of and dare I say as well it's natural behavior so yeah, yeah, we, yeah it is we, of course it when is. when we see anything with those that body language that we can consider coming from a negative emotional space whether that's anxiety fear whatever it might be mm-hmm. a lot of us get very very worried about it and when mm-hmm. we start to see it we all I've 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 done it myself you start to almost panic and overcompensate and actually that's that's not always helpful either so you know actually your dog learning how to use body language effectively is an incredibly valuable tool and not something that I want to remove completely from their life because it's an invaluable social skill so it's it's always about that fine balance of the context the environment and what's going on of whether that's an indication that we do need to intervene and help them out, or whether it's them just using their body language to, to help themselves out and going about life as normal, happy, healthy dogs. Mm-hmm.
1: And then just quickly, the, the other bits of when we're looking at the dog as a whole, um, super, super polite body language would be a play bow, Front and down, bum up, big loose tail, wiggle, wiggle, do you want to play with me? super 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 lovely polite body language also a very nice stretch for those of you with with the sports dogs that's one of our stretches you know your dog gets up and they do a big bow and they do and you have to say big stretch when they do it if you're like you're a monster if you don't say big stretch when your dog does it um so it could be a stretch but it's also a way of instigating play um rolling around on the floor now if we're if we go to a show and Dodge starts rolling around on the floor like a crazed sting and itching his back, I am so happy because the fact he's relaxed enough to flump on the floor and he always does it on my leg. He manages to flump into me. Like, even when he's off lead in a five-acre field, he'll still flump on me.
0: I think he wants you to join in. I think it's a mama coming roll. roll. <laughs> I don't mean is.
1: rolling in disgusting because that's a whole other thing. But rolling can be like, I'm relaxed, I'm chilled, kind of a thing. Um, and then the other one, dogs showing bellies. And I know we covered this one the other episodes, but that doesn't always mean they want a belly rub, people. Let's just get that out there. It's not a thing. If a dog shows its stomach to you... I don't like using the word submissive because it gets so misconstrued in dog training, but it's the way of the dog going, I'm not a threat to you. I'm not dangerous. Please be nice to me. Now some dogs, it is just, they flump over and go rub my belly. I
0: want a belly rub.
1: But for some dogs, if you go to rub their stomach at that point, that could be the most negative experience for them possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And again, and it just re-emphasises that whole ability of knowing your dog, knowing what they're communicating with, what they're doing, what's the environment and the context that they're doing that in. It says so much. So, yeah, I see lots of people with with dogs where that's how their dog behaves. They're in a public place. They're in a, a social situation that's quite quite pressured. And they flop and show the belly. And, again, as a, a fairly well-seasoned professional, we look at that with very different eyes, where lots of people are then straight in, diving in with their hands, and yeah, that's not comfortable for that dog, but we just completely misinterpret it because sometimes we are just clumsy, uneducated humans and we we interpret it how we want to interpret it rather than what the dog's actually trying to convey with it.
1: Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I think is so important body language, and this is one of those things that we see a lot, is a shake-off. And I don't mean your dog's just got out of the local swamp or pond in dodges case it's normally a swamp or it's just been a river or you've just bathed it or you've been walking in the rain that is obviously a shake i'm talking about that they've maybe interacted with another dog and they've moved away and done a big shake off or they have maybe sort of looked a bit tense and stressed they've done a big shake off or they've just been having a really big sniff like i said earlier and then they have a big shake off
0: yeah um I have got. I know we've spoke about this before, but um, I've got to do a big shout-out. I'm holding it up to the camera like people can see it, but they can't. Um, <laughs> Lily King's Doggy Language book is is amazing, beautiful little pocket-sized reference guide for anybody who really wants to kind of dive in there. This lady's got an incredible way of illustrating cartoon dogs in a way that conveys all those different things that we've talked about today. So if you're ever unsure and you kind of want something to at least guide you... That for me is just one of my go-tos for clients of perfect way to start that journey of understanding it in a really easy to digest way. And it starts to talk about context, the shake-offs, all the various different things your dog might do and what you can start to interpret from it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So a shake-off, um, it's one of those things that I try and put on cue. I try and capture it a bit because in a body language sense, it's, it is kind of a bit of a a relaxation, like, oh, you know, like you do it yourself. Sometimes if you're feeling super tense and like, especially even just think when you've been driving for a long time, so you've been in a fixed position and you get out and you kind of shake your limbs off. It's just a bit of a relaxation thing. But for other dogs, a dog doing a shake off is very much right. I don't want to play that game anymore. We're just going to stop now. So it's one of those behaviours we can encourage because remember, the more you reinforce something, the more the dog is going to do it. So things like bows, shake-offs, heads turns, we can reinforce the dog for those behaviours, and then they will do them more in the world. So therefore, they are more polite citizens.
0: Look at that! Couldn't have uh, couldn't have said it better myself. So I suppose that leads us nicely into our. Uh... What Word Wednesday? It
1: does. So, this week's What Word Wednesday, which, if you are a regular listener, you'll know you can go onto any of the socials and on a Wednesday, let us know what word you would like us to explain to you. And this episode, we have socialization. Now, this is a really interesting one because a lot of people assume that socialization is getting your dog to meet 500 people and 500 dogs before they are three months old, which isn't really realistic. Um, Global pandemic hasn't really allowed for that to happen. But also, every dog is an individual and some puppies may really thrive being put into kind of busy situations or meeting lots of dogs, lots of people, that kind of stuff. But I actually think that socialisation is more about the quality rather than the quantity.
0: Yeah, definitely. 100% It's the way it is. And I, and I think that, that bit about people and dogs is where we also get sucked in quite a lot. So if you actually kind of look up what socialisation is or means or what the definition is in a good old dictionary, that is the podcast after all, um, from a human perspective, there's one definition of socialising with others, which where I think that's very much the angle we often come at from a people and dogs bit. Mm-hmm. However, one of the other definitions of socialization is that process of learning to behave in a way that is acceptable to society. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to our dogs, that bit is is very much what it's about, because there is so much stuff out there. It's not just people and dogs. There's sounds, there's smells, there's textures, there's other animals. There is just the way that we live and the way that we have to behave around kind of public settings in home and everything else. So socialization is massive um but yeah whenever you do any of it as you rightly say yeah quantity over uh, quality over quantity anytime
1: so right on
0: cue on the podcast look at this <laughs> so, <laughs> this might need to be a video podcast <laughs>
1: <laughs> so dodge has just entered the recording space with a treasure to bring me <laughs> just as we're trying to be i'm trying to explain stuff and i'm trying to do a podcast with uncle greg can i play yeah. with you after?
0: He said, but, but but look at the treasure. It's even pink <laughs> and white. It? it matches your outfit and your hair.
1: All people can hear is you making weird panty noises down the microphone. So go away, please. Take it. Take it away. Good boy. Thank you. Go on. Go and find Daddy with it. Go downstairs with it. Go on.
0: He's like, you should set me up here. To find you with it.
1: <laughs> Honestly, seriously. So <laughs> the other... Way I think we need to think about socialization is about um dogs using all their senses. So we're very much like, oh, well, they should be meeting. But actually, especially tiny, tiny puppies that haven't had their vaccinations yet, you can do so much socialization by carrying them. And I think a lot of people really. Don't understand that side of it and maybe it's not explained to them properly and when all of a sudden puppy's 14 weeks old and has had all its jabs it's suddenly put on the floor and thrown in the deep end as it were whereas we can actually start getting them used to environment and the world way before they're on the ground actually physically exploring stuff letting dogs use their nose is such an important part of socialization but also when you're at home Different textures, getting the puppies to walk over different textures of flooring and stuff is really, really good for them. And that is all part of socialization because it's environmental. It's not just meeting.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. I am. I actively encourage people to do this kind of throughout dog's life. Puppies, obviously, naturally, it's a a huge learning opportunity for them. But um, a few months ago, I took my little nigh on 13 year old Cabby into a pet shop because she's not been in one for a while. Um, And again, it'd be very easy for me to kind of rest on my laurels and get a bit complacent and just expect her to go in there because she's 12 and a bit years old, knows the ropes, and just deal with it. But why not take her back in? Let her deal with all those other smells, things that she never gets to experience, like the hamster cages and all those other smells and all these weird environmental bits that she's just not got any exposure to in her day-to-day life. But if I do want her to be well-rounded and calm and be able to kind of deal with that situation, that very little and often quality exposure to those things is the way to do it. So whenever people plan their lives with their dogs and think of those little idyllic things that they would like to do, whether that's go to cafes, going to bars, walking around reservoirs or the fields or whatever it is, there's lots of environmental stuff there that you want to get your dog accustomed and acclimatized to where they have a bit of a, an almost a so what type reaction to it. And I mm-hmm. think, again, that's where a lot of us fall down as well, because when we do do socialization and we do fall into that kind of meeting mindset, we can often be guilty of overplaying it and getting it over excited and over aroused and all of that kind of like um, big event type kind of mindset. So, oh my God, there's another puppy. Let's go play with another puppy. And you just kind of just rev the whole situation up, which the puppy absolutely loves because why wouldn't you? It's great fun, but inadvertently we kind of set them down this path of, of an expectation and actually when they're a little bit older what most of us actually want is our dog that will happily engage with us and pretty much acknowledge but ignore everything else and mm-hmm. that's the power of socialization that's what it does if you do that right your dog can deal with all the craziness of the world the smells the bangs the textures
1: mm-hmm.
0: the the other things in the environment cyclists joggers balls kids dogs, squirrels, birds, rabbits, whatever it might be mm-hmm. and actually just have that little bit of kind of shoulder shrug type, uh, type attitude to it which I think many of us really deep down is what we strive for.
1: Yeah 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 and I think as well like one of the other kind of traps people fall into with the whole kind of meeting mindset as you said is um, taking them to like down sort of down to the shops or sort of the main hub of where you live. So there's a lot of people and that's cool if you're just kind of hanging out and puppies like looking at the people and stuff. But the flip side of that is you are going to have a lot of people approaching your dog and um, little, little funny story. Um, it's a very good friend of mine. She's a client as well, but she's got um, a small puppy at the moment and she was outside a coffee shop the other day. And she's wearing a tabard that says puppy in training. Um, and she's just doing some kind of work with him. And this woman basically barged past her and just grabbed at the puppy on the floor. So <laughs> <laughs> my friend's not particularly backwards in coming forwards. And when, what are you doing? And the woman's like, oh, but your puppy, oh, my God, oh, my God. And she went, but what are you doing? And she went, well, I just, I couldn't help myself. from." So my friend leant forwards and took her phone out of her hand. And the woman went, what are you doing? And she went, well, I just couldn't help myself because this phone's really... And then just looked at the woman. And she said the look of realisation on her face, because there's this real thing in society that you should just touch people's dogs. If someone went to touch my handbag or my phone or any other personal part of me I'm probably going to get very defensive and very protective but people seem to find it okay to touch other people's dogs that as we've said before that's a sentient being not an object and it's just a bit rude you know uh, being chef owners I don't know you get the people that either want to kind of say hi or the people that know chefs that just go "Oh, it's a chef and just kind of nod at you and give you a lovely bit of space and sorted you also have people that really wide birth you which are the (laughs) best type but with the chihuahuas and you must get this with lucy as well with the small dogs everyone just wants to come and say hi to your dog and the thing i always find sad when we've got munch our um our little staffy mix with us a lot of people will actively avoid her. She's actually the most people social one of all our dogs. (laughs) She's the one that wants to say hi to the people. The chihuahuas, like, they will kind of say hi, but they don't really want people looming over them and all the rest of it. So I think it's really important to remember, if you are going in a kind of high people zone, you need to be the voice for your dog and no, it's not okay for people to just grab at your dog or walk close to your dog or whatever, you know, people should at best ask really, but maybe just go, Oh, that's a nice dog. And admire it from afar. You don't have to touch something to appreciate it.
0: I feel like that's a lesson I've learned a few times in life. <laughs> it's, um, but no, you're hundred percent right. And, and, and it, it feels, I think, I think, I don't know. Again, good old social norms. I think kick in around our desire to be that voice because we dare I say we were often trying to be too polite. And actually, in those scenarios, you do absolutely need to protect your dog. You need to be their voice. You need to yeah. help them out. And again, I think that plays lovely into that quality not quantity thing because mm-hmm. when there is those human interactions with your dog they should be well managed they should be controlled and it should be in a way that your dog learns and is comfortable within that environment when it happens rather than like you say just somebody diving in out of nowhere hands in their face which can be a very very overwhelming And might even some dogs some of the most kind of kind of relaxed kind of thick-skinned bomb-proofy type dogs mm-hmm. will even get sick of that you know they're like all of us you know this if you're a hooky person, I'm sure there's only so many people you hook before it gets a bit old. And it's like, it's really similar thing. It's like, you go through that cycle. And, but again, yeah, that we have a, I mean, you're going to get me waffling about kind of social norms and perceptions here, but it it is, it's really unusual. how, As humans, we perceive dogs and what we perceive as a perfectly okay interaction with them to do. And it's, it is usually very rude on our part. Um, Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, People are rude. Yeah, when when you um, so when you are out and you are doing socialisation, like I say, remember it is that entire spectrum of stuff. It's not just people and dogs. It doesn't matter what it is that you are exposing them to. Yeah, quality every single time. So that's about them being nice, relaxed, calm, being able to process and take your time as well. Like I see so many people so keen to socialise that they almost like run through an environment with their dog, expecting them to take it all in and just kind of tick the box. Where actually that patience that time, that just kind of like you say, sitting on a bench, holding them in your arms, whatever it might be, and having the time to just watch and observe and give them that chance to make their own decisions and own judgments about something, that for me is the real big king because, excuse me, I see lots of lots of dogs just being kind of, for want of better description, dragged through an environment, especially the young dogs, who yeah. are still trying to figure stuff out. They've literally like you say, a few days after the second vaccination or whatever. They're coming out of the house, and now they've got this crazy, crazy world to deal with, and we almost just drag them through it, and yeah, we we give them very little appreciation of what that overwhelming sense experience must be like.
1: So um, apologies if anyone just heard a clicking noise. It's because Munch has decided to sit on my lap and Dodge decided that he wants to play bitey face with her while they're sitting on the lap while I'm trying to record a podcast. Y'all are not helping today. So I just want to kind of come full circle with the socialization in terms of body language, because one thing that people are really rubbish at when it comes to body language with dogs is they approach them head on very kind of looming over bending down putting their face towards the other to the dog's face all of that kind of stuff and in dog terms if dogs are approaching straight on pointy end to pointy end it's generally not the best way of approaching they generally have to um kind of approach on the side it's all very curvy they're sort of if you watch a Dogs sort of playing from above. There's lots of curves and circles. Whereas people are very direct. They go straight in, hand out towards the dog, and for some reason feel the need to pat them on the head. Okay, here we go. Public service announcement, people.
0: Most dogs... Is is this not a thing, public service announcement?
1: Well, no, because some dogs don't mind it, but public service announcement. Majority of dogs... Do not like having their head patted, especially not by a complete stranger. It's just a bit rude and they don't particularly like it. So, with that kind of in mind, if you do want to say hello to someone's dog and you have asked if it's okay to say hi to their dog, if possible, come down to the dog's level a bit. If not, just approach the dog's side on and let the dog approach you. Should we do a little myth bust about something you don't have to do that you see every single person in the world do? Uh,
0: I'm sure we've done this already. But go on, We're re- reaffirming this myth-busting reaffirm point isn't going to be... You don't have a... to
1: shove the back of your hand in a dog's nose and smell you.
0: Yeah, it's... Yeah, they've smelt you long ago. They they may want to inquire a bit more and get a bit closer. And again, I think this is where we get confused as humans because a dog approaching us, we, for some reason, interpret that as a green light to then throw our hands in their face, um, which is often not the case. If they're feeling comfortable and brave enough to come closer for for more of a sniff and to suss us out, they will hang around if they're comfortable to be touched. And as you say, <coughs> excuse me, I usually go for, I call it the three S's, that kind of smooth stroke stop.
1: Yep, yep, and,
0: yep. And it tends to be kind of back flank type area yep. because then there's no intimidating hands in face, no scruffing yep. of the neck, all that kind of stuff that a lot of dogs will be quite aversive to. And then just doing that real nice little smooth stroke and stop, your dog will clearly indicate whether that was, thank you very much, and they'll move away, or if they want more, they'll hang around, they might even press themselves back into you to initiate more contact. But... At least that it's a communication between you and your dog.
1: But remember, guys, just socialization does not mean meeting loads of people. Socialization in terms of dogs is getting them used to different environments and being comfortable and calm and happy in different environments, not showing any signs of kind of stress or being worried or unsure or anything like that. So that kind of wraps up the socialization.
0: Well, other than one more little oh, puppy of mine. Um, also, guys, it, 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 it's definitely rife with puppies. Socialisation is not getting 20 puppies in an enclosed pen and clicking them off and let them go bloody crazy with each no, other. Also, no, 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 That, no, no, no. even if it's advertised as a social puppy party or whatever people market it as, that, guess what? That's not a thing.
1: Yay, Greg said it! It's not a thing! It's not. No, and actually as well, like... um. Just the way as we said in episode five, you know, some dogs are dog social, but majority of dogs are dog selective. And putting your puppy in a room off lead with 15, 20 other puppies really is not a thing. It's gonna end up with someone getting hurt, someone getting scared, someone learning they can be a bully, and just don't do it, guys. It it doesn't help your world. You want When you're out, you are your dog's guardian, you are their protector, you are the one that keeps them safe, and you want them to be with you, hanging out with you, it's the whole reason of having dogs. Your dog shouldn't just be running off, saying hi to everything, because they think that's normal, that's not socialisation, that's lack of training.
0: Yeah, 100%. Right, I'm going to get off my little soapbox now. Wow. Uh, we we should place. really move on to uh, Thingamajig Thursday. We've kept them waiting for this episode. We have so
1: Thingamajig Thursday of this episode, and Go thank on. Mr. Greg because you picked this one. So,
0: I did. Do you want to say what you thought it was first?
1: Um. Well, there what was. You
0: said a... when I sent you the picture.
1: Um, I've got a feeling I was like well off and said a patterdale.
0: Yeah, you did say a patterdale. Um, but Why it's it not. I
1: feel like a terrier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the the irony that it's actually a deerhound and probably couldn't be any further from a pattertail in terms of size uh really did make me giggle but yeah thingy we me doing Thursday this week guys was uh, a deerhound uh, a lovely deerhound that I do get to work with quite often who uh is a is a big goof but he's uh yeah he's oh, I a love the
1: deerhounds they are awesome awesome epic dogs so guys that's it that is um episode seven done. We hope that um, you've enjoyed it. Please, please, please get involved with our social media. Um, Get involved with What Word Wednesday. Have a guess on a Thursday at what on earth the thingamajig Thursday is. That's every other week. And then on Tuesdays, we try and remember to put up a training tip. Unless it's my turn
0: to do it, then I duly forget.
1: Can we just apologise to this as please?
0: Yes, I I wholeheartedly apologise, guys, for my lack of organisational skills and social media posts on Trading Tip Tuesday, which is often my responsibility, and then I get the look from what you mean when I've done Wednesday, (laughs)
1: Thursday, and Friday.
0: It's just yeah. What can I say?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Fridays is Fun Fact Friday, so you can follow us on um, Instagram and on Facebook. And remember, guys, please tell your friends. If you are listening on Apple, please rate, review and subscribe and tell your friends, anyone that has a dog, to listen to us over at the Dog Training Dictionary. Yeah,
0: couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thank you everyone for listening. and we will see you again for the next episode very soon. Take care,
1: guys. Bye. Bye.
0: If you would like to join in the fun of Watch Word Wednesday,
1: and Magic Thursday, follow the Dog Training Dictionary on Facebook and Instagram at Dog Training Dictionary. Email any questions to dtd at dogtrainingdictionary.com. Please rate, review and subscribe and tell your chums. The Dog Training Dictionary is brought to you in association with Canine Hoopers World and the Woofing Pawson Podcast. Follow Canine Hoopers World on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Canine Hoopers World. The Woofing Porsum podcast can be found on Facebook and Instagram at GreatPawsNE. Thank you once again for listening and we hope you've enjoyed your learning journey.
0: It's now Trindicatorian